Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, my name's Stephen. We're glad you're here. Normally, people say good morning back, but you have no idea what's happening today, do you? So, hey, listen, maybe what's up? Naked pillow fight slide. Let me, let me just give you a little story I think will capture the essence of what um, we're trying to accomplish here. So, um, I'm talking to my mom last Thursday. And uh, I had asked her about a couple of titles for the series, um, just because I'm, I do that. And uh, obviously, I don't listen to her, because she's like, so, you went with Naked Pillow Fights. I saw your email. <laughs> like, yes, ma'am. You always say ma'am to my mom. Yes, ma'am, I did. And she says, well, I don't know what I think about that. I said, well, mom, put it this way. This is the only series you've called me about in three years. <laughs> Enough said. And then she asked me this question. She said, so what are you going to do? Are you going to teach him how to do that? I'm like, well, mom, like, it's not that complicated. Step one, you take your clothes off. Step two, you grab a pillow. Like, well, I don't know what you mean, but I think you get the idea, man. We just wanted to recapture a broader perspective on marriage, man. We wanted to recapture something that was fun, and we wanted to recapture laughter and joy and life and playfulness and spontaneity and some things that maybe just maybe man, we've lost out on in marriages in our culture. Because if we're honest, one of the things about, one of the things about marriages, especially as people talk about them, is it can tend to, tend to gravitate towards being a little negative. Have you ever heard the phrase ball and chain? You've heard this? I've, had people, I've heard people tell young guys that before they get married, say, listen, you better, man, you better do all the stuff you want to do. You better play golf now. You better you know, go on that trip now. You better hit your bucket list now because after you get married, it's all over. It's all over. And Mickey Rooney is famous for saying this. He says, you know, get married in the morning. That way, if it doesn't work out, you haven't wasted your whole day. <laughs> Groucho Marx, of course, famously said, marriage is a fantastic institution, but who wants to live in an institution? <laughs> and so we want to just kind of recapture, man, what are some things that may come to mind, right? Images that happen when we think of pillow fighting specifically, right? There's some, some components of marriage that we really wanted to recapture. And as we look at marriages in our country, we've heard some negative things. We, we've heard this idea that half of marriage is in a divorce. Some of you have maybe gone through some difficult marriages, or maybe your parents did, or maybe some friends did. So there's this bend towards, man, marriage is a lot of hard work. Marriage is this, and marriage is that. But what if marriage was just like naked pillow fights? Like, what if? That could be true. And, and, and let me ask you this question. Like, would you rather invite somebody to a series that says this, Biblical Foundations for Marriage? Or would you rather go to the golf course and say, hey, man, you got to come to my church. We're having a series on naked pillow fights. Like, which one's funner? <laughs> and so uh, another story, I was talking to a young couple just this last week. They've been married just a couple of months. And um, so they were just really enjoying marriage. And so they had, this is a true story. So they, one night they were shutting it down early because um, they had to get up and go to work early. So they go to bed and they get in bed and they start laughing. And you know how when you catch the laugh bug, you just can't stop? And it doesn't matter what's going on. You're just going to laugh. It's like, share. <laughs> and so they're in the bed laughing. And they said it was a little like being at a slumber party with your best friend, waiting for your mom to come in and tell you to knock it off and go to sleep. Right? And this is what we want to try to recapture in marriage. Now, now, when we get married, we have a lot of visions, dreams, goals, thoughts in mind. We have some ideas about what marriage could be. And listen, we hope that today for you, if you're single and thinking about getting married, or maybe it's not even on your radar, that potentially maybe this just kind of gives you some tools, gives you a new vision, maybe catches, helps you capture a dream for God's given role of marriage. But if you're in marriage, no matter where you are on the spectrum, we hope to be able to provide some tools that's 
informed by, by God's word, that's informed by God and what he wants to do in your marriage, that help you have a marriage that's countercultural, help you have a marriage that's life-giving and long-lasting. You know, and when we get married, one of the things that we're looking for when we get married is this idea of connecting, right? We want to be connected to another person. It's, it's, we, we find someone, number one, that we like. We like how they look. We like how they talk. We like how they smell. We like how they think. Man, we like a lot of things about them, and we want to be connected to them. And so we date for a little while. We do some special things during that time, don't we? Like we open car doors during that time. Like we, we take them out. Guys pay for stuff on car doors. Like we actually ask them out um, on dates, right? We don't just text them. We, we go face to face. We say, hey, you want to go out? Girls, if there's a guy that asks you out by text, dump him, right? <laughs> Done. You're over with him. And then I'll talk to him about it. But listen, we want, we have this idea of being connected. It's this, it's this dream that we have. It's kind of the ideal, but something happens along the way. Something happens that we move from cooperate, excuse me, from connecting to cooperating. We move from being connected to just cooperating to run the household. So think about, for those of you who are married, you, you, when you get married, there's a lot of stuff to handle. You have to get your driver's license changed, generally, if you're the wife, to get your name changed. You have to find a place to stay. You have to get the electricity turned on. You have decisions to make. Who's going to pay the bills and who's going to run the finances and who's going to do the grocery shopping and who's going to do the cleaning and who's going to handle the yard and who's going to X, Y, Z. And we get into this idea, man, we're just running a household. It's just tasks and things that we get done. And we just cooperate. It's good. I mean, we're, not, we're supposed to cooperate. It's not bad, but it gets focused on that. And then what happens? You have children. Like how many of you guys are parents in here? Lots of cooperating, isn't there? Like so it starts out when they're born. Like, 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 I, like I asked the question, so do I have to go to the hospital when you have this child? Like I wanted to know. That's a joke. Come on, of course. I went after the game was over. So you have kids, man, and then it's like, who's changing the diapers, and who's going to get up for the midnight feeding, and who's going to take them to the doctor when they get their shots, and man, when they go to school, like, who's going to be in charge of carpool, and who's going to pick them up, and who's going to help them with their homework, and it depends on if it's math, or if it's science, or English, and then, you know, who's going who's to get them signed up for this extracurricular activity, and who's going to be able to take them there, and shuttle them there, and what about if I'm out of town, can you, can you handle this, and you're on your way home from work, hey, honey, can you stop and get a gallon of milk, and I mean, there's all this cooperative. And then you have all these people come over and your hot water heater breaks and like who's going to take care of that? Who's going to make the repair service call? And man, there's all of these tasks and duties and things that we have to get done and we find ourselves cooperating. And what happens when you're only cooperating is that we look across the table and all of a sudden we realize that we've become disconnected. And we look at the other side of the room during TV one night. And we say, I don't even know you. And see, the key to connecting is being known. The key to staying connected and not just cooperating is being known. It's being understood. It's being understood your story. It's by having conversation. It's about talking about your dreams and visions. It's about talking about your fears and insecurities. It's about being known. The way that we stay connected is to be known. And so we're going to kind of unpack this idea today. What does it look like to stay connected by being known? Like, what does that look like? Why is that beneficial 
in a marriage? Why is that beneficial? So we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to be in math, excuse me, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. You can see on the screen, you can go to page 2 on the paperback. You can grab the app. I mean, you can look on the app on your phone. And uh, we're just going to make, keep it really simple today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Genesis, this is about Adam and Eve. Like, you remember Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve created in the beginning, very first two people. God creates them to, to partner with him, to bring his creation into order. That, that our job as created uh, humans, like, just like Adam and Eve, is to organize creation, to bring order to it. And so we see in their, in their, in their very first relationship, this word, and I, this is all we're going to talk about. It's just this one half of one verse today. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Okay, so she, he, they knew each other the way the language is constructed. Adam knew Eve, Eve knew Adam. She conceived and she gave birth to Cain. So clearly we know what the word knew is referring to, don't we? Clearly the word knew or know in this context is referring to a sexual physical relationship. Is, it, is that is everybody, are we clear about that? It's a euphemism, and we see it throughout the Bible that know, to know someone in a certain context, it's a euphemism for having sex. Like, and we have our own euphemisms, don't we? Like, you have your own euphemism for sex. Like, maybe it's around kids and you don't want to say the word, so you have some word that you use. Like, we have different euphemisms. You know, we say things like sleeping together. Like, that's a euphemism for having sex. By the way, if you're a student here sitting with your parents right now, you're welcome. And it's about to get better. <laughs> so think about this. We have them. As married couples, you have some euphemisms for sex. Like when you're in the mood, you have, you have a text message, don't you? You send. You have an emoji that you shoot over. <laughs> See? I'm, I, I mean, we, we have those. We lean into those. There's those times. We have certain songs that we play. When, when, when man, we think maybe, maybe the time's right. Like I know a guy, there's a friend of mine that he will text basketball emojis to his wife. It means it's game time. Another euphemism. <laughs> Another euphemism for having sex. So we have them. We know what they are. We use them. We see them on television. And he, 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 here's like, so why in this context does he use this euphemism? No, or no, they knew each other. Like, why is that? the euphemism for sex. Why didn't they use a different one? Or there's some other specific words actually in the biblical language that deal with having sex. Like why this one? Why know each other? And so this is what we need to unpack. Like why know? Like when you know somebody, I mean, you just move to a different level with them. Knowing means more than just physical contact. Knowing means understanding someone. Knowing means understanding someone. Like there is nothing that requires you to be more known than a naked pillow fight. Man, if you just begin to think about that, like there is nothing because it is all out there at that point. You are completely exposed. And there's this understanding that happens when it comes to being known. Like in the Bible, we, we see this in a, some different contexts. Like when you know someone, you know some facts about them, don't you? You know their height, you know their weight, like you know what's on their driver's license, their birthday. Hey, guys, pro tip, whatever that number is for weight on her driver's license, never ask about it. Just saying, right? Like, we know nobody like that one. Okay, um, 
like we know some facts. You know about the, her address. You know where he works. There's some facts that we know about people. But there's also more to it. I mean, we know nuances to people, don't we? I mean, we know, we know their expression, and we know what that expression means. Or if you get that look, have you ever gotten that look? We know what that means. Or maybe, maybe the way that they said something, a tone of voice, it communicates something. We know some things about people. But more than that, man, we know their story. Like the person that you're, you get married to or are married to, you know their story. You know where they grew up. You know the joys that they had. You know the things they loved about their family. You know the, the victories that they won. You know the successes that they had. You also know the defeats they suffered and the tragedies they endured Man, you know the heartache and the heartbreak. You know it all on that level when you know somebody. And doesn't it change you a little bit when you know somebody's story? Doesn't it change how you experience them, how you respond to them? Have you ever met somebody and they just seemed like the most miserable person in the world? They were just a jerk. They weren't happy. They were frustrated. They had a scowl on their face. But then you heard a little bit about their background. You heard about what they've been through. You heard about what happened to them. You heard about that, that, that time that this went down in their life. Changes. Changes how you looked at them. Like Jesus was the master of this, of helping elevate someone's story. There's a time when this sinner was brought before him. And in that context, this particular sin would have required them to be stoned. So they bring her before Jesus. And they're like, hey, what do you say? Like, don't we need to stone her? And Jesus just begins to look and he begins to piddle in the ground. And then eventually he says to all of them, hey, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. In other words, now that you know her story, now that you know about her, now don't you relate a little differently? And it says they all one by one peeled away, right? When we know someone's story, man, we treat them differently. We act differently. And we learn some things as we're married. There's some things that if you're married right now, you know about your spouse that you know you wouldn't do again. Am I right? You did it one time. You don't do it again. Like this happened to me early on in marriage. It happened yesterday too, but happened to me <laughs> early on in marriage. So like um, my wife was telling me a story and she's telling me the story and she'd done this a multiple times. So as she's telling me the story, man, I'm getting a little antsy. I'm getting a little impatient. So I just kind of want to get to the end. So this is what I did. <laughs> yeah, it was bad, y'all. It's bad. And like I said, I did it how many times? Uno. So now... Now, here's the deal. She knows that if I will just, if she'll just tell me, hey, this has a good ending, man, I'm there all day long. Use as many words as you want. As a matter of fact, fix me a drink. I'm going to sit down and enjoy this, right? Like, but we learned about each other, right? That's something I learned about her. And obviously, you would think most people would know, hey, a good friend of mine, check this out. They're married for a week. He goes and gets all his clothes out of the dirty clothes and washes his clothes and not hers. That's a bad idea. You know how many times did you do that? Once. Just once. There's some things that we learn, some things that we know, some things that we understand. And as we get, get, begin to know someone's story, here's what we need to realize. Their story is not over. You have the privilege of being married to someone. You're having a major role in shaping their story and helping them become everything that God's created them to be helping them step into the fullness of life and identity of who they are. Like, like nobody, nobody is the same today as they were when they got married, even if you got married a week ago. 
We're, we're all different. We're all moving. So think about this in your own marriage. Like in my marriage, so when we got married, Debbie was just like, her dreams were, you know, hey, I just want to be a mom, and I just want to stay at home, and I just want to be married to you and your chiseled body. That's all she would think about. <laughs> and that didn't last long, did it? But now, <clears throat> kids are grown. We have a daughter-in-law. We, she has different dreams. She has different visions of the future. She's a different person. I'm a different person. We're changing, and that's what's going on in our life. Like, our story's changing. And so we need to understand this in the life of our family, in the life of the person that we're married to, man. To know them is to understand their story and to help them get to where God wants them to be. And we need to know them to help them get there. Man, we need to know them. We need to understand them. Also, one thing to realize is the marriage relationship is so unique. Like, you know your spouse in a way that you don't know anybody, right? You don't know anybody. It's so unique the way God created Adam and Eve to be together in this very unique relationship. So, so when you think about um, they were, Adam and Eve were created in the midst of the garden. And so Adam is charged with naming the animals. Think about this is one, one, one example. He's naming the animals. So he looks at an animal, he's like, zebra, puma, you know, whatever, leopard. And he can see beyond just the surface and look into the characteristics of the animal, what they're created to do. And he's in charge of naming them. He has this ability to do that. But as he looks out across them, he realizes that all these animals have companions, but he doesn't. And he looks out and he realizes that's not like that, I, that's not, I don't have a companion like that. I don't get together with them like that. I don't connect like that. Like, I have nothing. And so God looks at this and sees this is the case too. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says this. God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. Now, he's not saying that because he's afraid that Adam's going to burn the world down, although he could if left alone. He's saying this because he recognizes there's a void there, that Adam has been created in the image of God, created to be able to relate to people, created to be known by people, and he doesn't have someone, so God says, I'll make him a helper that is fit for him, that corresponds to him, that is just like him. And so if you're not known, you are alone. If you're not known, you're alone alone. Like Adam, see, we think the opposite of alone is with somebody. We think the opposite of alone is in a crowd. We think the opposite of alone is just hanging out with somebody. But you know that there, you can be alone in a crowd. Some of you are married and you feel alone. Man, alone, the opposite of alone is not we're a couple. The opposite of alone is not we're roommates. The opposite of alone is not we're driving together somewhere. The opposite of alone It's not that we're on the same team. The opposite of alone is being known. The opposite of alone is being known. And we live in an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. Man, study after study after study shows that we feel lonely even though we have more perceived relationships. We feel lonely. And loneliness has health problems that creep up. It has all kinds of sociological problems that we're suffering from because people are alone. And you can be alone even in your marriage. You can be alone. The opposite of alone is not with somebody. The opposite of alone is to be known. So God creates Adam and Eve in this unique marriage relationship so that they can know each other, so that they can bring them life and laughter and fun and spontaneity and playfulness so that they can know each other on a unique level. Like you don't know anybody like you should know your spouse. So think about it. 
You probably, guys got down on one knee or something like that, and you asked them to marry you. If you're thinking about getting married, please do that, by the way. So you asked them, and then your wife said yes, or future wife said yes. You stood in front of a pastor of just the peace, and you made some vows. You don't do that with anybody else. It's unique, right? You did that. You signed a piece of paper called a marriage license that the state sanctioned it. So it says that you're married. And so you, you do some things. You took some vows that said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, till death do us part, all those kind of things. Man, it's unique. It's different in marriage. We have different relationships. You sleep in the same bed together, or you should. That's different because you don't do that with everybody, hopefully. Like, think about if this would happen at your house today. Let's say you're going somewhere this afternoon. You're married. You're going somewhere, and you're up in the bathroom getting ready. And you hear the beep, beep that, that somebody just came in the front door, you know, and they come in the door, and you can hear them downstairs. You hear them, they get something out of the fridge. They say, hey, to your kids. You just still keep on getting ready, and they come, and they just walk in the bathroom while you're getting ready. Didn't knock or anything. Like, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Like, we get it. Marriage is a unique relationship. There's something special about it, and we need to treat it that way. And because it's, the main reason it's special is because we are known differently in the marriage relationship than any other relationship, which means there's some faithfulness that has to happen in our relationship in order to be known, right? And, and there's different areas of our life where we need to be faithful. Man, we need to be faithful, obviously, physically. Like, our bodies are reserved for our spouse. And, and, and that's why marital infidelity is the number one reason for divorce in our country. I mean, our bodies are reserved for the person that we're married to. We made a commitment to that. There's an expectation on the part of my wife that that's what I'm doing. And there's an expectation on me that that's how she's operating too. There's faithfulness. And man, if there's unfaithfulness, that breaks trust and you're not known. Right? It breaks the knowing. It breaks the knowing. There's financial faithfulness as well. As we've talked about recently, the number two reason for divorce, if one is infidelity, number two is finances. And so there's got to be on the same page. And this is one reason we were so passionate about Financial Peace University is prepare people to get married and once they are married so that they could be on the same page financially. Because if you're spending money that your spouse doesn't know about, if you're squirreling money away or doing something that would be considered financial infidelity, right, it's going to break trust. You're not, you're not fully known. There's physical, there's financial, there's emotional knowing, right? There's this knowing of what someone's thinking, feeling, dreaming, understanding, frustrated with, afraid of. That's why you should never have a conversation about your marriage with someone of the opposite gender. Because what happens is they begin to know you more than your spouse, and that builds a connection, doesn't it? That's what knowing means. And some of you may be in danger right now. You should probably shut that down. This is why Facebook, with all of its grand wins and victories and how awesome it is, man, one of the things that's negative about it is people reconnect with people that they knew a long time ago. Man, they share some things they probably shouldn't share. Right? And they go to a level that you that's reserved for your spouse. There's um, emotional connecting. There's also um, faithfulness in parenting. Have you ever noticed how kids will try to kind of get in there and pick one side over the other? Like, first of all, they'll go to, to one parent, and they'll go to the mean parent first to kind of get that out of the way. It's always the mom. Moms, I'm sorry. You guys get a bad rap for that. So at my house, Debbie was always the one. And so they go to Debbie. Hey, can I have X, Y, Z? Can I have some candy or can I borrow the car or whatever? Um, and she's like, no. Mm -mm. And so then they come to me. Hey, Dad, can I have some candy? What did Mom say? She said to ask you. 
right? And what can happen in parenting even, you get on different pages. Man, you get pitted against one another. You're not on the same page. And there begins to be this trust that gets broken because you're not really known. And your kids know you more than your spouse does. And so God has designed the marriage relationship to be this unique relationship where we're known uniquely. And if we're not known, we are what? Alone. If you're not known, you're alone. You're alone. Now, we don't like to be known if we're just honest. Like, we don't, we don't like it. Man, it's hard. It can, be, it can be fearful at times to be known. Man, if you knew what was going on in somebody's brain at times, you'd be like, whoa, what's that? Like, there's this idea that we would be rejected if someone knew us. This idea we would be put out. Maybe they wouldn't want anything to do with us. Maybe they wouldn't love us. Maybe they wouldn't like us. There's this idea that we'd be separated if we're not known. And so we just kind of keep it on the surface, don't we? And here's what we do. We hide. And let me tell you, let me explain this a little bit. Like a lot of you guys, like when you use your social media, um, specifically the ones that are photo driven, like Instagram and Snapchat and those, you'll take a picture, a selfie of yourself. And do you ever just post it in all of its bare glory? Most of you are shaking your heads. No, you're not. You know why? You put a filter on it, don't you? Everybody, first of all, you take it on your good side. So I always take it with my left hand. You, take, you always put, post your good side. But then also, you put a filter on it to be sure no blemishes show up, to be sure you look best. You be sure that the lighting is just right. You want to make it look better probably than it does. And this is how we live our lives. We live our lives filtered. We post about the best experiences. We post about, man, the best view. We post about the things that are going to make us look the best. This is how we operate. And this didn't just start. In the 2000s, right? This started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, it says they perfectly knew each other in the Garden of Eden. It says they were naked and not ashamed. So they're having naked pillow fights, not ashamed, don't even care. But sin comes in, and they do something. They recognize there's been a break in relationship. So they hide in two ways. First way they hide is they hide from God because they go run in some bushes as if God couldn't see them, by the way. And then they cover themselves up with some weak, tired plant material called loincloths, right? And they hid from each other. And we've been doing it ever since. And we hide. And until we learn to be transparent, until we learn not to keep secrets, especially from our spouse, we're never going to be known and we're never going to have that level of connection that's going to help us to have laughter and intimacy and fun. Now, now granted, there are some times when marriage can be hard. Man, but if your first go-to when someone talks about marriage is marriage is a lot of work, man, your bar is too low. And so when we hide, man, we just set a really, really low bar. And we need to step into some transparency. And that means sharing our weaknesses. So watch this. I come across these, these quotes this week. You impress people with your strengths. Man, when you want to impress somebody, talk about how good you are. Right? Man, talk about how awesome you are. Talk about the victories that you had. Talk about the ways you came through. Talk about the times you were really patient when you didn't have to be. Always wear the jersey after your team wins, but never after they lose. Man, always talk about how good you are. Man, this is the way that we operate. Man, if we want to impress somebody, I mean, we talk about our strengths. We talk about our victories. We talk about what's good about us. Man, but if we want to connect with somebody, and we connect through weakness. You want to connect with somebody? Man, tell them about your weakness. Tell them where you failed. Man, 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 you know what it's like. If you've been through a divorce and you shared that with someone and you were able to help them because you connected with them just by sharing something that you went through that was very difficult, you know the power 
of connecting through weakness. I mean, if you struggle through an addiction, you know that when you share that with people, it releases its power over you and it empowers them to know that there's a hope in the future. And we connect through weakness. I mean, the times when I've gotten the most feedback, man, the times I've gotten the most positive feedback is when I talked about something really, really dumb that I did, some weakness that I had, the time that I talked about when I lied or the time I talked about when I got angry because people are like, me too. And there's hope for me. So there comes a level of connectedness that happens in marriage when we share our weaknesses, we share our fears, we share our doubts, we share our common visions for the future, we share our dreams, we share our confusion through marriage. And if you want to be connected, man, you have to, we have to learn to share our weaknesses, not just our strengths, because that's how we are connected. Man, so on a practical level, to be known Like, what does that mean? How do we get there? To be known so that we're connected, to be known so that we have this level of transparency with each other. Man, how how do we get there? More than just understanding, what are some practical tools? Man, the first one is just to learn to ask questions. Ask questions. We've all had this experience. We've walked in a restaurant and we've seen mom and dad and two kids. They were sitting there at a restaurant and they were doing this. You ever have that happen? You ever see that happen? They're not asking each other any questions. They're not connecting. Maybe they're signing up for the marriage challenge. I don't know. But they're missing out. And if we're going to ask questions, and we got to be engaged. Like when we're present, we got to be present. We can't just be physically present. We have to be all there. Like how many times has one spouse said to another, man, you're here, but, but you're not here. Like, what's going on in there? Now, I'm an extrovert, so I generally, anything that's in here comes out here. So I can be in the other room, and Debbie will be like, what'd you say? I'm like, I'm talking to myself, sweetheart. And she's like, okay, don't do that anymore. (laughs) If we're not present, even though we're physically present, we miss. Ask questions, because stories are changing. Stories are changing. Like, when's the last time? And this is some good questions to ask. Just ask your spouse, hey, what are you dreaming of? Like, if your, your dreams have shifted, your kids are older, or you don't have kids, or you just got married, like, what are, you, what are you dreaming of? What do you think about for the future? Like, what are you dreaming of? Like, here, here's one to ask. What are you afraid of right now? Like, ladies, you can ask your guys this question. And sorry, guys, I'm just giving you up. Just ask them this question. Hey, tell me where you feel insignificant. insignificant. I can't even say the word. Tell me where you feel insignificant. Because they do, at times, for something, at some point, just ask them, hey, where do you feel insignificant? You can ask your wives, hey, where do you, feel, where do you not feel secure? Like, where do you feel some tenuousness? Where do you feel it's instable? Like, where do you, where do you feel like? What's some of your dreams? Like, here's another one to ask. Like, if I could create the perfect day for you, what would it look like? If I could create the perfect day for you, what would it look like? And so if you're married right now and you can't in your mind know what the perfect day is for your spouse, then you need to ask that question. Now, here's what I can tell you. If you have, age, if you have kids under the age of six, your wife wants a day off. That's what she wants. <laughs> and so you just need to get it for her. Hey, ladies, if your husband is in here and he's breathing, you know what he wants? A naked pillow fight. I'm just letting you know. 
So just ask questions. Man, this is the best way to understand. Or this is step one to understanding. It's not the best way. Step one to understanding is to ask. When's the time you just had a chance just to ask questions? And the second thing that we have is not just asking questions, but sharing experiences. And we share experiences together. Like, we're going to forget most of the conversations that we have. But man, at the end of our lives, we're going to remember the shared experiences, the things that we did together. And especially the times that we laughed together. Like, there's, this, there's a quote that says this, is laughter is the closest distance between two people, right? It is what connects people. Laughter is not about humor. Laughter is about connection. It's about social connection. Man, when you laugh with somebody, man, you just create this social connection that's going to share an experience. It's going to be what you remember. It's going to be what you point back on. You're going to talk about the things you did. Man, when you get older or even just a year down the road, remember last year when we did blank? Like, my wife and I, I think one, that's one of the things we've learned as we've gotten older is we laugh a lot more with each other. She laughs at me a lot, but we laugh with each other a lot more. And so, like, we laughed, uh, you know, she has this, this habit of getting stuck in bathrooms at airports. And I don't know where she gets it from, but we were in Rome a few years ago and she got stuck in the bathroom at the airport. And she was trying to get somebody's attention, but she couldn't remember the Italian word for hello. And so I had to go looking for her. But we laugh about that forever because it's funny. Like, and she laughs at me because when we were in Italy, I'm trying to say something in Italian. And I said something highly inappropriate and didn't know it. (laughs) And the people told us. And we laughed all the way back to the hotel room. (laughs) Man, when you laugh and you create laughter. So how do you do that? Man, there's some things about laughter. It's, you know, it's hard to generate. Sometimes you can just make yourself laugh, but just do this. Just go up to the Avalon today after lunch or have lunch go out and just kind of sit and watch people walk by. And as they walk by, if they're not funny, just make up stories about them and tell them to each other. And if you've seen the movie Date Night, not a great movie, not endorsing it, just saying in that movie, they do this. And they say, hey, this person, they had this conversation and it's hilarious. Just make up things to laugh at. Because that's going to bring connection, laughter, shared experiences. Man, and it can be little things and big things. Man, there's some epic vacations you're going to want to go on eventually. But sometimes it's the small experiences that you go, go on. When Debbie and I first got married, man, we just had no money. We didn't have two nickels to run together, rub together. So our date night was going to the grocery store. And our big treat was getting barbecue potato chips, not plain. And so now... There are those times when she's going to the grocery store. I'm like, hey, you want me to go with you just for old time's sake? Remember how we used to go? And she'll go, no, I need some me time. <laughs> no, nah, but w- there's little things going to the grocery store, but then maybe some bigger vacations. Maybe it's going camping. Maybe it's other things that you would like. Man, we need to stay connected, and we do that by asking questions and by sharing experiences. This is how you become known. This is how you know you're on the same page. This is how you stay in a marriage that brings laughter and joy and fun is by knowing each other. Um, There's a story about uh, a pastor named Matt Chandler. Some of you may have heard of him. Matt's a pretty big deal. And he tells a story about about his marriage in the early days of his ministry. So around year seven or eight, it had been rough. It had a lot of conflict, a lot of dysfunction, and a lot of that result was a result of his story, right? The things he'd grown up with, the expectations he had, the, the things that weren't getting met. And so Matt's, a, uh, you know, he's, he's a master of words. And so he could slice and dice people with his words, and he would regularly do that with his wife. 
So he recalls this one situation where, man, this is happening and she's done something and so she's arguing at him and then so he comes back at her. He begins to work his, his magic on her and so she begins to get very emotional and walks into the next room. And so as he's going in for the kill, as he's kind of ready, he's kind of done, he's just going to kind of finish off with some cruel words. He makes the corner and she comes towards him and as she comes towards him, she's just sobbing. Man, destroyed. And she wraps her arms around him and hugs him and says this, I'm not going anywhere. To which he replies, I'm going to get some help. Now from that brokenness, from the weakness, and they begin to work on their marriage. They write a book called The Mingling of Souls, and now they do conferences on marriage. right? Because in that moment of just weakness and brokenness, and they were just honest before the Lord. Honest with each other. And listen, for you, that may be the step for you today, man, is to reconnect just through being known. And the truth is, you'll never make it without being connected to Jesus first. Man, if you're not connected to Jesus, you're not going to be connected to each other. And Jesus is such a good model for us of this. Think about the story of the gospel, and let me just tell you about him. So Jesus looks at us and understands our weakness, understands that we are separated from him, understands that, man, we have broken relationships. He understands that we are devastated, man, that we're lonely. And he comes down to be present physically with us. And when he goes to heal someone, if you will read the stories of his life, he always asks him questions. What do you want? What what can I do for you? He asks questions because he knew that's what was going to get to their heart. And then he would heal them and tell them the truth. He would be with them in a moment. And Jesus came in weakness. He is the creator of the universe. He is God. He proved it through resurrection. He could have come in power and powered up on all of us. And he could have told us what we were going to do, told us how we should do it, and just told us to get our act together. But he didn't. The Bible says he came in weakness, allowed himself to be executed at the hands of the Roman government. And through his weakness, man, we're connected to him. And because of his weakness, we experience his strength, his resurrection. And we are able to connect with other people because we have this security of being known. Because he completely knows you. He knows everything about you, yet he still loves you. And this is the power of the gospel. And we want the power of the gospel in your marriage, in your future marriage. In every aspect of your life, honestly. And where are you missing it? Are you in the 25% where your marriage is a wreck and you're done? Like I don't even, you don't know where else to turn? Are you in the 50% that you're just cooperating? Just roommates? Like where are you in that journey? We believe that there's a new vision and a broader perspective for marriage. And we believe it's available to everybody. Let's pray together. God, in this moment, just grateful that you have sent Jesus for us. God, that he has modeled for us everything we could ever hope for in a relationship. Man, that he knows us, knows our weaknesses. Man, loves us anyway, embraces us, gives us forgiveness and power to live. And that you would have that kind of initiative to send him for us. God, I just pray for marriages now. Man, for those who are man healthy and thriving, God, you would just help them to continue on just connecting and being known. 
God for marriages that are just roommates. They're just limping along, and they have no vitality, no intimacy, no life, no laughter, no fun, just duty and obligation and responsibility. God, that, I mean, you just cast a different vision in their lives today. God, I pray that we would, be, we would take the initiative to ask questions today, that we would be the ones to initiate the relationship, man, to, to set out different experiences to partner together. And God, you would just, we'd look back in four weeks and just be, and look at the miracles that you've worked in marriages. Lord, I pray for those that are on the rocks. Man, they, everything but the papers are signed. God, there's been just nothing but conflict and dysfunction and hiding. And God, I pray today you just breathe life. I believe you can do that. And we want to be a place where divorce doesn't happen. God, where families stay intact, where families are whole. And God, I pray that for those who are considering marriage, thinking about marriage, God, that you would just help them clearly see the vision that you have and the way you've designed it and how incredible of a relationship it can be. But God, also, let us never put marriage on a pedestal. God, that it's not the holy grail that you are, that you are worthy of everything. And that if we'll focus our eyes on you and see you and connect with you, God, that you will, man, you'll be in the middle of everything else. And God, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.